where Dave and I plan this year's company holidays. Let's go through the list. Easter, too religious. St. Patrick's Day? Too white. Mother's Day? Way too cisgendered. All of your usual holidays have been canceled this year. But we still have Karl Marx's birthday! <laughs> Need a real reason to party? Find a new job at redballoon.work. With every passing day, the veneer of truth and science is ripped off of the rotting corpse of the COVID narrative. Medical doctors are openly questioning both the COVID jabs as well as all previous vaccines. What were once conspiracy theories are now being covered by the likes of the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. We also interviewed Jacob Rayom, pastor at Trinity Bible Chapel in Waterloo, on a recent article he wrote exposing the complicity of evangelical elites in their furthering of the aforementioned rotten COVID narrative corpse. Ephesians 5, 11 to 13 says this, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Friends, we'll be doing a lot of light shining this episode. It's March 2nd. I'm Andrew DiBartolo. And joining us again from an undisclosed location, running the production, and we can't see where he is for the sake of the health and safety of him and his family, is my friend Matt Halleck. Yo. This is the Liberty Dispatch. Greetings and welcome to Liberty Dispatch, broadcasting across enemy lines into the Canadian culture war. Whether you're watching or listening to our show, please like, subscribe, comment, and share. Whether that's YouTube, our channel, Liberty Sea Canada, or on Rumble, Liberty Coalition Canada, make sure you watch it, make sure you share it, comment on it, like it, subscribe. We want to grow our subscribers. We want to keep getting this information out and making the platform as big as we can for the sake of freedom and liberties in our country. We're also a part of the Fight, Laugh, Feast network. Make sure you download the FLF network app on your devices. That's Android, iPhone. You can also go to flfnetwork.com where you can find all the shows, not just great American content, but Canadian content like Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock or the Rebel Podcast with Pastor Nate Wright or the Ezra Podcast. Make sure you head over to flfnetwork.com and download the app on your phone. Also, please go to our website, sign up for our email list, stay up to date with everything LCC. And also, please consider leaving a donation to support the work that we do. If you'd like to receive a charitable receipt for your donation, then make sure to donate to Christian Week, our partner in media. And if you're wondering where donations go and how you need to fill out certain forms or fill out certain checks or do e-transfers, make sure you go to libertycoalitioncanada.com slash donate, and you'll find all the instructions there for where your donations need to go. We also want to say, please reach out to us. If you have any questions for the podcast, any questions regarding the material we cover, you can hit us at mailbag at libertycoalitioncanada.com. That's mailbag at libertycoalitioncanada.com. For all things support and donations, you can go to give at libertycoalitioncanada.com. And then finally, if you have any questions about finding good churches, good, solid, freedom-minded churches in our country, you can go to churches at libertycoalitioncanada.com. 
mailbag.com. And for our mailbag question this week, what I would like to ask our audience is this. Which conspiracy theory, which has now been proven to be true, is your personal favorite? I know I know we despise them all because lies and propaganda have led to the destruction of economies and the erosion of freedom. So in one sense, we despise them. But if you had to pick your favorite conspiracy theory, which is now proven to be demonstrably true, let us know which one that is. Reach out to us, mailbag at libertycoalitioncanada.com. You know, as many of you know, our friends over at Resistance Coffee have decided that it's time to close up shop, not because business and support were bad, no, our audience and their regular customers were fantastic, but because other responsibilities at church and work have been growing and require more time and energy. So now is your last chance to stock up on delicious coffee before it's gone for good. And by last chance, I mean tonight, March the 2nd is your last chance. This is the last day that they will be fulfilling orders. Head over to resistancecoffee.com slash LCC and place your orders by the end of day. And if you haven't done so yet, you got to make sure you use that slash LCC because you will get 10% off your first and at this point, essentially your last purchase with Resistance Coffee. Go stock up on some good coffee. Check out their merch. It's discounted. I have a couple more shirts and a mug on the way as well. Head over to our friends. Resistance Coffee has been good to us here at LCC, not in terms of their, not just in terms of their sponsorship and their support, but in the tremendous swag. Those of you who connected with us at various conferences where we had tables set up have also gotten free sample bags of coffee. That was all from them. Head over to resistancecoffee.com/lcc. Get your orders in tonight before the coffee is gone for good. For our first story today, what we want to do is we want to talk about, as the truth comes out and more information is revealed, what we're seeing is more and more people change their views on COVID lockdowns, masks, and jabs. And it's not just your average everyday citizen that's changing their mind. It's we are seeing more and more people with platforms, fairly prevalent people who are famous and well-known who have a large social media following or who were key in their fields, we're seeing them change their minds as well. Now, we've highlighted a few instances of these before where people are changing their minds. They're, they're deciding that they were wrong about how they viewed the virus and the lockdowns and the mandates. So what we want to do today is we want to look at two more doctors whose views have changed drastically because of what they've been seeing in the COVID injections and their detrimental effects. Now, what you're about to see are more examples of real repentance, not pandemic amnesty, but a real confession of wrongs and a sorrowful admission of previous beliefs, words, and deeds. Now, we don't mean repentance in the before God for the forgiveness of sins in order that you might attain salvation through Christ kind of repentance, but we mean repentance in the relational sense or in the sense that which you did something wrong or believe something wrong and you say, I'm sorry for what I thought, for what I did, for what I said. I shouldn't have done it. I was wrong. Please forgive me. That's what we're going to see. So we want to start off by showing a video of Dr. Drew. Some of you may or may not be familiar with him, but this is from three years ago. This is right before the COVID era begins, and this is his general feeling on all vaccines and those who might oppose them. 
Why is it that so many people now are talking about vaccines and there's this conspiracy theories about vaccines? Why is that? I think generally there's a paranoia and we've all become much more narcissistic. That was, remember that book I wrote about that and I, I didn't even see how bad it would get. I knew it was coming, I didn't know it would get this bad. And when you're narcissistic, it's hard to trust and it's hard, you get a lot of envy and acting out and suspicion and you know, you believe you're special and as opposed to focusing on what our responsibility is to the rest of the community, which is get vaccinated so we don't infect everybody. We start thinking about ourselves, we're special, we're different. And that you, I, I'm not interested in the government telling us what to do. I'm, I'm, I was always sympathetic to the anti-vaccine movement, but now it's like, it's getting critical crisis points. We're serious now. So, so you're saying a narcissist reads or watches a YouTube video, a conspiracy video that says you don't need to take vaccines and because they're a narcissist, they're more likely to right. believe it's, that? It's not that direct, but I, in general terms, we've sort of moved that direction with our personality styles and we're less likely to trust authority, for instance, and we are feeling very special. And we are feeling like our rights should trump everybody else's. And interestingly, then we forsake our responsibility to the community. And that's, that's where we are now. That's where things are breaking down. Now, in this video, Dr. Drew is not speaking specifically about COVID jabs because this is right before everything happened. This was in early to mid-2019 where there was apparently a measles outbreak that was happening in the United States. But this general attitude he held to, and really this has been the prevailing attitude from our elites for the last three years, which is if you refuse to do, like he said, what is good for everyone about the safety and protection of all people, what is beneficial for the common good, if you refuse to do that and you talk about your rights and not doing what the government says because of them using control and a totalitarian kind of push, then it's probably that you're narcissistic or you're distrusting. And that's the general attitude, which is what we heard, right? Get the jab. Don't be selfish. Don't be a conspiracy theorist. Now, this attitude towards vaccines in general, he held, and almost certainly into the beginning of the COVID era and into the unveiling of the COVID jabs. Now, there started to be a shift, however, about a year, a year and a half ago in Dr. Drew, where he was saying this blanket policy that everyone should just get jab is kind of silly, especially for kids under 12 and for those who really don't need it. And he was attacked quite, quite strongly. But nevertheless, he would still say the jabs are kind of good for what they are. And if you need it, get it. And by and large, it's still going to be helpful and it's going to you know, do your part in order that we could stay safe so this virus doesn't decimate us. Now, again, this is a position he carries into COVID with regard to the experimental gene therapy injections. Now, there are videos, even as he's beginning to question the jabs, he's still saying, yeah, but you know, if you need to get jabbed, get boosted and wear masks, and eventually he turned to the only N95 masks because the surgical and cloth masks don't work especially when the CDC started releasing their new information regarding it. Now, when the truth breaks the dam of lies, it has a profound effect on people as the, as the torrent surges in and you are consumed with the information and you are overwhelmed by the truth. Here is Dr. Drew on February 9th, 2023. This is just a number of weeks ago. And, um, I, I want to start with um, a very sincere apology. I want to, as, as, as effusively as I can, fall on my sword. And I want to explain why and what and, and frame it. So sit back and enjoy this if you like this kind of thing. So <laughs> we now know 
that uh, we have a Pfizer, a very significant Pfizer executive on the record saying that they knew about these menstrual irregularities being a very serious concern. I have now seen uh, pathological specimens that show excess spike protein in the ovaries, in the adrenal gland. Uh, we, the, the, uh, the executive in the Project Veritas case pointed out that he thought maybe it had something to do with the hypothalamic pituitary axis, which is a very common sort of, it's a very delicate cycling system, a neuroendocrine system that women have that can get easily set off. But we now know some of the possible mechanisms, not just the ovaries, uh, but also there could be, we've seen excess spike protein now in the myelin and actually in the neuronal cell walls. So it could actually be direct neuronal effects. And we also know that spike protein is affecting plasminogen activator inhibitor by inhibiting that inhibitor and causing problems with bleeding and clotting. And we, of course, also know now that this spike protein is very much a part of what we call an endotheliitis or a lining of the artery problem that could easily be manifest in the uterine wall and the uterine lining. So there's at least five mechanisms I could think of that could be causing this that are of serious concern. And I am getting emotional when I, when I want to say this. When Naomi brought this up, I was the kindest thing I can say is I was dismissive. I was quietly dismissive of what she was bringing up because I had seen menstrual irregularities caused by everything in my career. And I thought, oh, it's just another thing. It's just another thing. I was wrong. I apologize. I got it. I, I don't know whether we're going to find out exactly what's going on, but I, I was I was as wrong as I could be. And the one thing that this pandemic has taught me, well, one of the many things, I've learned a lot of things that I didn't want to know, but the one thing that I did want to know is hubris and certainty is the enemy. It, it, you can't be certain about a lot. And don't don't discount anything until we know for sure what the data is. We're at the stage now where there's sort of general agreement that something significant is going on. There's multiple candidate mechanisms. And by the way, COVID could be a culprit in this as well, right? I mean, we don't know because they haven't asked the questions. They, they have to really, it, it's looking like, uh, based on Dr. Cole's work, who had all the pathology specimens, it really looks like the vaccine spike because they're not finding the nucleocapsid protein in with the spike protein in all these deposits in the ovaries and the adrenal glands, things like that. So it looks like something that is only delivering a spike, which is, of course, the vaccine. Now, there's a lot of medical, a lot of medical language there that you, you might be confused to cut through. But can let me summarize that clip. He was dismissive of the claims that the jabs caused serious injuries and that these injuries were to be blamed because of the prevalence of these injections. He dismissed it. I'm sure that was a polite way of saying what was probably going on in his mind, that these people are conspiracy theories. Like like you said in that first video, they're conspiracy theorists, they're narcissistic, blah, blah, blah. Their rights, their freedoms, they're crazy. So that's what he thought. Now he's saying, I was wrong. I was very, very wrong. I'm very, very sorry. Please forgive me. The jabs are a problem. They are poison. The only way to explain what we're seeing is them being delivered through the injection. And him even quoting Dr. Ryan Cole. Dr. Cole has been thoroughly canceled and people have attempted to discredit him because of the work that he's doing. He's not going to get any playtime on a major media outlet. So the fact that Dr. Drew is now highlighting Dr. Cole saying, no, the work that he's doing is valid and needs to be heeded. This is a 
This is a huge repentance. This is a big time turn saying I was wrong about this. Now, you might be asking if you're, you know, you're listening to the show, you're watching the show. Okay, listen, guys, we get it. The, the, the COVID thing. Okay. We're kind of past it now, right? Like it's over now it's all exposed. So we're not going to have any more jab mandates and we know about the masks. And so we know about the lockdowns. So that's fine. We can move on. But I mean, you have to understand two things. Number one, it's not over yet. There are still sectors and places where you cannot work if you don't have proof of injection. Like if you're a nurse or we interviewed someone who works for Purilator primarily online from home was fired because she didn't have proof of injection. So we're not over yet. This is not done. And who knows what the next wave of tyranny will look like. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. We have to keep coming back to this. And we have to highlight the importance of admitting wrong and publicly repenting. Because these mandates, these jabs are killing people and ruining lives. That's what they're doing. And it's our elected officials and unelected health bureaucrats that put these measures in place under the threat of punishment for noncompliance as all they did was harm our citizens and destroy economies and ruin businesses. Th these are the consequences of their mandates, their decisions, their lawlessness, their unscientific policies. And no one who's made these decisions has said, hey, we got this wrong, we were sorry. Certainly not anyone who hasn't been kicked out of their position and thoroughly silenced. That's why we cannot let this go. We cannot just forget what's going on. And here's another reason why. I want to show you a graph from the government of New Zealand's own medical data. Okay, so updated as of this morning. We have a link to a story broken by Bright Light News where they link to the actual website citing the New, the New Zealand government medical website. So let's put this graph up. What we're going to see here are COVID deaths in New Zealand by vaccination status. So that little blue bar there is not fully vaccinated, which means either no shots or one shot. The yellow bar there is fully vaccinated, which is two shots. The red bar is boosted. Look at the, it's wild. And if you can't see this right now, number one, Go to the website and check it out. Number two, watch it so you can see this, especially because of the interview we have later. You're going to want to watch the show. It's going to be it's going to be a good one. But essentially, across all age groups, those who are fully jabbed and boosted are dying at a rate six point nine times higher than those who are not fully jabbed. Now, obviously, when you get to the higher age group. Right. Once you get to the people who are even older, it's even even crazier number, clearly, because the weaker they are, the older they are, the more damage it's actually doing to them by putting this poison in them. But this is what's going on here. New Zealand had some of the harshest restrictions in the world. In other words, the New Zealand government mandates the murder of its own people by force forcing them to inject this poison into their bodies. So, friends, this is why we can't forget what they did. This is why we can't just say, oh, let's move on. We cannot stop shining a light on this evil and this corruption. And we can't stop standing firm on our convictions for the sake of future rights and freedoms being squashed. Because we know it won't stop with COVID. It's going to get worse if we do nothing. 
And so we will keep calling out what's going on. We will keep highlighting when people repent and people openly say we were wrong about this. And we will keep allowing the torrent of truth and data to come out so that we can say we can't forget what happened. We can't let it happen again. And we need to be ready for the fact that our elected officials, that the state will continue to grab for more power and more wealth and more control. And so we need to be ready for that. And we need to we need to expose this darkness, this evil right now, which is what we're going to continue to do. Yeah. And Andrew, I'm struck by the fact that um, a mission against interest is always a really powerful thing. And I've said on the program, you know, I, I think I would be in line with a guy like Dr. Drew, like not very skeptical of vaccines for most of my life. Um, I did get the first initial two shots, as I've mentioned on the program. I do regret it. Um, I didn't have all the information I do now, but that's no excuse. I should have had all that information before <laughs> I, I took the plunge into getting um, an experimental gene therapy. Um, nevertheless, um, it's always interesting to see these admissions against interest because it is humbling. It, it, that's why repentance is such a difficult thing. That's why people struggle to turn from their sin and repent and believe in Jesus Christ because, um, you know, we know they're fallen in sin and, um, you, you know, their hearts are hardened. But also, you know, people go through the process of logically thinking through, well, what does it mean if I repent of my sin? Does that mean this illicit relationship that I'm in, that I no longer can be in that that relationship that I like to be in, that it's, it's pleasing to the flesh? Um, in this case with uh, COVID-19, if I repent of the position I took, does that mean that I was an authoritarian, that I supported the most tyrannical civic policies, perhaps in modern human history? Did I really promote medical tyranny and apartheid? Was I complicit in all that? You know, certainly I've seen that when, when I've done pro-life work, Andrew, is Mm -hmm. For for a lot of people, the more emotionally invested they are in the abortion debate, the harder it is for them to logically th think through what's going on. And that's really where you have to, instead of, you know, uh, we know human beings are fully integrated human beings, heart and ha head and all those things. But you really have to tailor your argument when you see somebody so emotionally invested in it towards getting over those emotional barriers before you can get over the logical barriers because of what this means. Well, I've had an abortion. So you need to address those hard issues mm -hmm. or someone that I know and love has had an abortion and I couldn't possibly call them a bad human being. Therefore, I'm going to continue to hold to this position. And those are all the things that go into the reason that repentance in this case is so very hard because there is mm -hmm. so much at stake and it reveals so much about the positions we've taken, how we've acted and essentially our character. So we can, in one sense, understand the hesitancy, um, which I think, again, highlights how important it is to see guys like Dr. Drew 
giving those apologies we we even saw that one one guy there also in the panel that uh desantis had there um who also apologized that's why that's so powerful but that's why we got to continue to pray that for people who are stuck in this you know um cult of mass (laughs) mass psychosis and that's why we got to as you've made mention andrew continue to cover these things because though you might think as our listeners and our viewers who have seen this stuff that this is just us preaching to the choir over and over and over again the reality is more and more people are waking up to what has happened and the deleterious effects of all that has gone on so that's why we do figure it is it is necessary necessary to continue talking about these things and what what's important to note too is that when you actually say hey i was wrong about this i i got this wrong and i'm okay with the implications of that i'm ready to own that that allows you to do the same thing in other subsequent areas. It makes it easier. It's easier to see things a little more clearly and to be honest about them. If you're willing to, in one area, do that thing to repent, say, I was wrong. I got this wrong. I didn't see it properly. And I think that's highlighted in this clip we're going to show right now of Dr. McCullough, a friend of the show, who's being interviewed by Glenn Jung from Bright Light News, also a friend of the show. And we're going to see what has happened in the life of Dr. McCullough as he's really dived into these COVID jabs. What is this making him see or how is he responding to the medical industrial complex at large? Let's let's see what he has to say. COVID is just symptomatic of a greater virus of corruption that is total and complete. How does... How does that make you feel as a physician when you are experiencing the attacks, the absolute corruption of industries, media? I mean, it's just... The House of Medicine is corrupt, and so many doctors, including myself, had no realization of this. And it's only now, by looking back, do we see these glaring examples uh, of corruption, conflict of interest. There's been a a built-in automatic assumption that vaccines are beneficial, if not to the person but to the overall herd of the population. And this goes back uh, a long, long time. But the answer is uh, there is a great need for epidemiology, that is the study of the distribution and determinants of disease, to figure out who becomes injured with the vaccine and who doesn't. Going through all the vaccines, there needs to be uh, a detailed evaluation. With COVID-19, the general understanding is roughly 15, one five, percent of people are injured with the COVID-19 vaccines. That is a a substantial proportion. Uh, The understanding is about 2.5 percent sustain heart damage or heart injury. These are substantial percentages of which we can understand the determinants. So with respect to vaccine injuries, and this applies uh, for sure to COVID, of which has been the most extensively vaccinated of the entire world's population, but for other vaccines, we need a deep dive into the epidemiology of vaccine injury. Because only through epidemiology are we ever going to get any, any direction on how to treat and resolve these syndromes. Now, Dr. McCullough has said and done a lot of valuable, important beneficial things in the last number of years. I would argue in closing this kind of segment off, that might be one of the most important things he said. Now being able to see more clearly what's going on in the medical industry, in big pharma, and understanding how it is that they, in relationship to the state, 
through the propaganda arm of the legacy media were able to push what they did armed with these new set of lenses he's saying and now we need to look back at other things absolutely that's one of the most important things he has said that we need to reevaluate and we need to look at things through these new lenses we have and that only comes through a kind of repentance that we're talking about when you can be honest about what you thought what you did and what you said that arms you with the ability to now see other things more clearly both in yourselves and in others so kudos to dr mccullough for saying that because just as controversial as speaking out against the COVID jabs would be the claim that maybe we need to look at all of the vaccines and their distribution and the adverse effects of them and maybe we need to think about this a little bit differently andrew before we move on i just want to say again especially for christians this is a word for christians if the entire Christian life, as Martin Luther said in his 95 thesis, repentance and faith, dying to self, rising again to Christ, we ought to be on the forefront of those ready and willing and able to repent of wrong actions, wrong thinking, all those things. It should be so interwoven within the ebb and the flow of our lives that it should not be hard for us to do. And the thing that I've seen, sadly, and I know you'll talk to, to Jacob about this later on in the program, is unfortunately this has been such a heated, controversial subject that even in this case, Christians have been so reluctant to mm-hmm. repent of what they have said and what they have done. And I think that's a, a real shame uh, because it cuts against the very nature of the Christian life. Mm-hmm. Well, separating money from the state is a core tenet of Bitcoin's ethos, a permissionless network where the individual is in full control and accountable for his own property. Bull Bitcoin, Canada's most trusted exchange since 2013, is built around this ethos and leverages it in its mission to end central banks forever. At Bull Bitcoin, where security and privacy are priority, they take it upon themselves to help empower individuals with the most potent form of money the world has ever known. Head over to mission.bullbitcoin.com LCC today and get started with your account creation. Contact Bull's best-in-the-business customer support team at any point throughout the process to request assistance. Mission.bullbitcoin.com slash LCC. Take control of your money. So, Matt, I have a, a question for you, and maybe you have an answer, and, and you know, but what's the difference between a conspiracy theory and the truth? Just a little bit of time, Andrew. Yeah, <laughs> just about about six months. That's the it's difference getting... between the conspiracy theory and the truth. Maybe I believe less. The, yeah. uh, the, the time span seems to be getting less and less as we move on uh, in this crazy yeah. world that we live in. So I want to read an article that was written May 26th, 2020. Uh, it's written by Dr. Scott Atlas. He's a fellow at the Hoover Institute at Stanford University, and he's a former member of the U.S. COVID task force until he left or was kicked off because he didn't want to be a COVID czar. And he saw the destructive nature of the mandates and the lawlessness in the federal government. This is what he wrote almost three years ago now. 
the policies have created the greatest global economic disruption in history with trillions of dollars of lost economic output. These financial losses have been falsely portrayed as purely economic. To the contrary, using numerous national institutes of health public access publications, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and Bureau of Labor Statistics data, and various actuarial tables, we calculate that these policies will cause devastating non-economic consequences that will total millions of accumulated years of life lost in the United States, far beyond what the virus itself has caused. COVID has been responsible for 800,000 lost years of life so far. Considering only the losses of life from missed health care and unemployment due solely to the lockdown policy, we conservatively estimate that the national lockdown is responsible for at least 700,000 lost years of life every month, or about 1.5 million so far, already surpassing the COVID-19 total. So let me, we're going to link to the article. You should read it because again, it's almost three years old. But what Dr. Atlas is basically saying is they're not looking at actual lives lost because you can't just look at the people who die. You have to look at the effect it'll have on people and how people who would otherwise live to be 60, 70, 80 will be dying much sooner because of poverty, because of addiction, because of overdose, because of whatever the suicide whatever the issues might be. So what he's saying is, as of the time of that article, which was May 26, so about three months or so into the COVID pandemic, as it were, you had about 700, you had 800,000 lost years of life. But every single month up until that point, the lockdowns alone, just the national lockdown, just looking at missed healthcare, so this is people who didn't go to cancer screenings, the people who didn't, you know, the, the surgeries that weren't totally, you're going to die that minute, were pushed back or were canceled, that it's 700,000 lost years of life for every month on the month during lockdowns. And lockdowns lasted for about two, two and a half years. Now, Dr. Atlas was excoriated in the media for his position and eventually kicked off of the COVID, the U.S. COVID task force. People who dared question the mandates and their long-reaching and global consequences were called all sorts of names. Well, it turns out that Dr. Atlas was correct all along. I want to read you a portion from an article published by UNICEF on February 13th, 2023. Quote, It's been a distressing few years for children in South Asia. The COVID-19 pandemic, climate disasters, and rising food prices caused by economic shocks have cast a shadow over the health and well-being of millions of them. Depression, anxiety, grief, loneliness, the loss of parents and loved ones, missed childhood vaccinations, long COVID, delayed development, difficulty settling back into school, and catching up on lost learning. It's a heartbreaking and overwhelming list. Now, it sounds like what they're saying is it's a little bit of everything, right? It's long COVID. It's the misvaccinations, even though we know the damage the jabs actually do, right? Climate disasters. Okay, they're just throwing that in because they need to be woke. Rising food prices caused by the lockdowns, caused by shutting down economies for 
a number of years. And it's led to all these things. And then they you go through the article, and at the very end of the article, kind of buried there, they write this. Lockdowns and school closures had a serious impact on children's development. Keeping children indoors kept them safe from COVID-19, which is factually inaccurate. There's nothing you can do. It's like flu season. Everyone's going to get the flu. It's going to work its way around. There's nothing you can do to stop it. But, you know, maybe it kept them safe, but it also robbed them. This is the continuing the article, but it also robbed them of critical experiences that helped them develop. Right. Which is exactly what Dr. Atlas was saying, that if you just lock people in their house, you shut down their business, there will be long term consequences that will be devastating. So this ch these children who wouldn't have died if they got COVID anyways, because the number of children dying from COVID is statistically zero. By all of these lockdowns and mandates, what do you see? What do increases in depression, anxiety, grief, loneliness lead to? Or having the impact on a child's development? What does it lead to? Well, it probably leads to addiction. It probably leads to substance abuse. It probably translates into some form of emotional or physical or sexual abuse in the future. Probably translates into them not actually being able to perform well academically, which leads to more destruction, which leads to crime, which leads to them dying much earlier. So by doing the things that the state did, it had no effect on the virus. We know that John Hopkins published their their study not that long ago that all the lockdowns, all the mandates at best lowered the total COVID deaths by 0.2%, which is nothing. It said no effect. But the catastrophic consequences of the lockdowns and the mandates, as Dr. Atlas predicted almost three years ago, finally UNICEF is saying, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. So the, you know, like I said, the, the, the dam of lies can only hold back the, 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 the river of truth for so long before it comes out. And then people who were saying all sorts of horrible things about Dr. Scott Atlas and people like him are now having to admit, oh, this was the case with a little bit of gaslighting because they're not saying we were wrong. They're not saying, oh, we shouldn't have supported these things. But at the very least, the truth is coming out and it cannot be hidden or avoided anymore. Absolutely, Andrew. And I mean, if we can all remember back to the start of the pandemic, anybody who had the sense to say, what are these policies that we're going to put in place? What are the long term effects of them? We were chastised as grandma killers, as people who didn't care for others who were unloving of neighbor. Um, you know, in fact, churches across our land, when people um, would come up to them and say, hey, guys, we cannot be as churches, especially, I, I would say everybody cannot be locked into this myopic vision of the only thing that matters is protecting biotic health as it relates to one virus um and and disregarding everything else like anybody who would say that was labeled as conspiracy theory labeled the nut labeled somebody who was anti-science but surprise surprise thinking of the long-term ramifications as scott atlas was doing um it turns out yeah 
there's been serious side effects. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting because uh, I was reminded in going through the um, POEC re- ruling by Dr. by Justice Rouleau there. Um, and and he 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 mentions that um, in the context of like, oh, people have the right to protest, but you know, there's uh, a limitation placed on that uh, due mm-hmm. to the limitation clause. Um, and, you know, the the kind of um, test for the limitation clause is uh, comes from the case R.V. Oaks. And it's interesting, Andrew, now with the postmortem as we're kind of starting to realize more and more exactly what happened, exactly what the long term ramifications are going or are, 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 are right now. Um, I mean, it's only going to get worse. We're only going to learn more. Um, yeah, we haven't I'm, even scratched the surface. Of no, exa- exactly. We're going to be stru- unpacking this for decades. Yeah, I'm just struck by the fact that the courts were so um, quick to use the limitations clause. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the a part of that very test that was established in that RV Oaks case is the proportionality mm-hmm. of the measures put in place as they restrict charter rights and freedom. So there needs to be a proportionality between restricting people's civic freedoms uh, and fundamental freedoms uh, and the goal and objective that you're trying to accomplish. But now what we're seeing is, I think there was good reason to think that it was never the case that they were proportional, mm-hmm. but now we're seeing hard data to suggest that they weren't yet. Why do we keep covering this stuff? Because Rouleau just came out and said the freedom convoy was not justified in, in right. protesting. And uh, our government was justified in the invocations of the emergencies act never for before used um, in the history of Canada, which is, you know, predecessor of the War Measures Act, essentially Justin Trudeau's regime declared war on Canadian citizens because they were done with these harmful lockdowns that we see over and over again were far worse than the mm-hmm. disease. And that's what the third, um, the proportionality test of the RV Oaks decision is trying to get at. The cure, supposed, cannot be worse than the disease. That is exactly what took place, and that is why um, it's illegitimate to use the limitations clause, as terrible as that is. Um, and that's why, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's stunning to see that it's still used as a justification for these harsh measures after all that we found out and after all that we know. But. It's again, you, it's just, uh, it's, it's, we're going to be unpacking what's going on here and what has happened and taken place for a long time. But I think it's just really important for us not mm-hmm. to forget. So that's why it's important for us to go over these kind of in a postmortem type way. And not just for the sake of the economic devastation and not just for the sake of the, the virus itself, because we're not scientists. But the reality is all it, it was this false pretense. It was what we were being told that was the justification for obscene amounts of power and control and tyrannical measures put into place. It was what the state did in response to these things. It was the the kind of totalitarian iron fist from the state that came out of 
these lies, right? On, on April 4th, 2020, I posted on Facebook, my biggest concern in this isn't the virus itself because it's not that deadly. I said that three years ago based on some of the studies that were coming out of Stanford and Oxford and Harvard and the framers of the Great Barrington Declaration. And I said, it's not my greatest concern isn't even the economic devastation, great as it has been. I said three years ago, my biggest concern, my biggest fear is the handing over, the willing handing over of our rights and our freedoms to the state is a kind of power that they will not give back and they will only grab for more of it. And the last three years has been evidence of that. And the fear is they're going to keep doing it because if they can tell you to stay home for a virus, they can tell you to stay home for the largest health crisis, which is climate change. If they can tell you you need to do these things or you can't fly or you can't visit family, then they have set a standard where now they can keep operating in that standard. And that's why it matters for us to look back and expose the lies so that we can say to people in the future, when the state tries to come again for your rights and freedoms, you have to say, no, you've played this card before. You've shown yourself to be a liar. I'm not going to comply. But there's there's still more vindication for us tinfoil crown wearers. Last week on February 26th, 2023, the Wall Street Journal broke an absolute bombshell of a story. This is the title of it. The lab leak, sorry, the title is this, lab leak most likely origin of COVID-19 pandemic. Energy Department now says U.S. agencies revised assessment is based on new intelligence. So there it is. It's the lab leak. This thing, it came from a lab. That seems to be what's going on here. Now, before we get into enjoying some sweet chocolate vindication cake, and I have to tell you, I've been having a few pieces this morning. It's delicious. I want you to sit back for just a few minutes and enjoy Tucker Carlson's response to what's come out of the U.S. Energy Department and the origin of COVID-19. The Wall Street Journal reported the Biden administration has finally concluded that yes, COVID was not naturally occurring. It didn't emerge organically from a pangolin, whatever that is, at the wet market, whatever that is. No, the virus came from a Chinese military lab where it was created. That's the determination of the Department of Energy based on new intelligence that, of course, everyone already had. We know perfectly well where COVID came from. We've known this for years. In fact, one of the very first things we knew about COVID was that it was an engineered virus that escaped somehow, intentionally or not, from a Chinese military biolab in Wuhan. It was in early March of 2020, three full years ago, at the very beginning, that we did a long open on this show about the Chinese research paper whose authors later disappeared. Now, these Chinese scientific researchers scolded the Chinese government for the lax safety standards that they said allowed COVID to escape and infect the world. This was three years ago, watch this. In fact, the outbreak may have begun not in a public meat market, but in a poorly run Chinese laboratory. Now that's not our theory. Anyone who raises that theory on American television is attacked as a conspiracy monger. But this is a theory from a now censored Chinese paper. A draft paper posted in mid-February Scientists at the South China University of Technology suggested that the virus outbreak, coronavirus outbreak, began at the Wuhan Center for Disease Control, where an animal may have infected a researcher 
who then spread the disease outside the facility. The paper is explicit about this. We're going to quote it. The killer coronavirus probably originated from a laboratory in Wuhan, end quote. So it's not like we did a lot of hard-hitting reporting with our Chinese-speaking staff. That paper was in English on the Internet, and anyone who was interested could have found it. We were just interested. That's why we found it. And then we found someone who was there. We found a Chinese physician, a scientific researcher who worked for the Chinese government, who was in and around Wuhan when COVID emerged from that lab. Her name is Li Mingyan, and we did a bunch of interviews with her. Here's one. From my first report, I can present the solid scientific evidence to our audience that this virus, COVID-19 SARS-CoV-2 virus, actually is not from nature. I work with the top coronavirologists in the world. So together with my experience, I can tell you this is created in the lab. This is from that template owned by China military. But instead of following up on that, people attacked the woman you just saw, really attacked her, and then attacked us for giving her airtime. Pants on fire, you're lying, said the quote fact checkers. From the beginning of the outbreak, the American media, as one, took the side of the Chinese government in this new propaganda war over COVID. NBC News calls the called the phrase Chinese virus, quote, both inaccurate and harmful in tying racist associations between the virus and those from China. Joe Biden and his lackeys in the media all repeated the talking point. Watch this. But neither should we panic or fall back on xenophobia. Labeling COVID-19 a foreign virus does not displace accountability. The president referred to the coronavirus as a, quote, foreign virus. And I think it's going to smack, uh, it's going to come across to a lot of Americans as smacking of uh, xenophobia. The administration's labeling of this virus as foreign is undoubtedly playing into the rising xenophobia about it. Trump isn't cautioning us to check our racism, but is rather stoking xenophobic sentiment. The president says it's a foreign virus as if this was launched on us like an attack. We know what that's about. That's about him playing xenophobia, works with his base. Tom Cotton a couple of days ago uh, spouting a conspiracy theory that the Chinese made yeah. this virus up. Don't try to spool up uh, some of whoever was wearing tin, tin foil hats in your audience. Let's apply Occam's razor and just call <laughs> crazy, crazy. This is crazy. This is an insane thing to yeah. do. It's just wildly irresponsible and was totally unnecessary. I don't know what Tom Cotton gets out of this. In the 1980s, I remember when the far left trafficked in rumors about HIV having been invented in CIA labs. The far right has now found its own virus conspiracy theory. He's also pushing U.S. intelligence to find evidence for this theory that the virus was accidentally released from a lab in Wuhan. That's his new angle to feed the wingnuts, uh, to treat this virus like it was a conspiracy of some kind. It should have never happened. This plague should never have happened. It could have been stopped. But people chose not to stop it. <laughs> what people? Tomorrow he'll blame the Spanish flu on Antonio Banderas. America's, not China's, America's entire leadership class, from the government to the intel agencies to elected officials to, of course, the media in unison, spent years trying to hide Chinese culpability for the greatest crime in human history. They cooked up fake papers and bogus data. They attacked anyone who asked obvious questions, even people who were in Wuhan at the time who knew. 
And you have to ask, why did they do this? Could it be that they were implicated in this too? We're not sure, but it's an amazing story. So while the, uh, while the video was playing there, I was enjoying my fifth piece of sweet chocolate vindication cake. And uh, it, it gets even every piece, every piece of the chocolate vindication cake just gets better. I normally with the, you know, with the law of diminishing returns, the more you have something, the less enjoyable it is, which is why you can't have, you know, steak every single night. It's not as good as it was the first time. It just keeps getting better. Every piece. I'm going to have another five pieces later today. And, you know, I'll share a piece with Jacob after our interview. But this chocolate vindication cake, it just keeps getting better and sweeter. So after all of this nonsense, fake news from the legacy media and, and Tucker's talking about the American media, the Canadian media is, is was probably worse in many respects because it's entirely state funded bans and fact checks on social media of which I had my fair share. It turns out the tinfoil hat wearers were correct all along. This is from the wall street journal article that we've linked. You need to read it. It's a good one quote. The U.S. Energy Department has concluded that the COVID pandemic most likely arose from a laboratory leak, according to a classified intelligence report recently provided to the White House and key members of Congress. The Energy Department's conclusion is the result of new intelligence and is significant because the agency has considerable scientific expertise and oversees a network of U.S. national laboratories, some of which conduct advanced biological research. The article continues, no confirmed animal source for COVID-19 has been identified still to date. The lack of an animal source and the fact that Wuhan is the center of China's extensive coronavirus research has led some scientists and U.S. officials to argue that a lab leak is the best explanation for the pandemic's beginning, not just the best but apparently the only real valid one because this lie that it came because some guy was eating some bat stew at a wet market, which by the way is just several kilometers away from the lab, right? The actual bio lab in Wuhan is a nonsense story. Again, the dam of lies can only hold up against this wave of truth for so long before the dam bursts and the truth comes out and then people who would have otherwise said we are not so wacky kooky conspiracy theorists uh oh it turns out that that really is the case and again we're not seeing a lot of repentance here that's fine hopefully it comes later but at the very least we you could have never imagined the wall street journal publishing this story three years ago but here they are here they are doing it now yeah, and I honestly don't have much to add to it because, I mean, it's just another piece of evidence that the things that we were talking about, the things that we were saying, the, I mean, clear evidence in this case of what took place, you know, so clear that even Jon Stewart went on um, Colbert's show and he was saying like, well, of course it was made in this lab that was literally like a coronavirus development lab in Wuhan. It's like, you know... Uh, it's it's so obvious, uh, but it does lead one to think that, it, given the fact that it's so obvious, why is it only three three years after the fact that this is coming to light? Why is this only being admitted after men like Fauci have already technically resigned their position? 
you know, we can't let this go down the memory hole. We need to hold these mm-hmm. people accountable uh, for what took place. And again, I'm sure it has we, nothing to do with the trillions of dollars that have exchanged hands in oh. the last two years. And that now that that's the case, I was talking about this with someone recently. Now mm-hmm. that all the money has changed hands, if you go on the CDC and the WHO and even the Health Canada websites, they now list hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin as valid therapeutics yeah. for dealing with yeah, exactly. COVID. Now that now that all the money's changed hands, these off-patent drugs can now be said to be fine. Whereas two years ago, uh, you would have gotten, I mean, you would have gotten canceled mm-hmm. to the moon for saying these things. So that's why now and, it and, comes out. Now and we also we also know that there's been a reluctance to actually dig into this story and the origins of this because of the close um, relationship that the, this lab in Wuhan who developed this virus and due to lax security measures ha- had it escape um, the, between them and the, the NIA ID, the NIH um, mm-hmm. and uh, the gain of function research that people laughed at uh, Senator Dr. Rand Paul um, for for bringing up in the trial against Fauci, but uh, or in an investigation of Dr. Anthony Fauci. But again and again, it 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 proves that um, what was once a conspiracy theory is undeniably um, true now that. Uh, we have comfortable distance, I guess, uh, for, from the whole situation. But um, this is why we, again, we can't let this stuff get memory hold. We have to cover. We have to talk about it because, and it's not just that we told you so, right? Like there's been things that I've had to admit, oh, I got this wrong. I didn't see it right. Um, you know, n- nobody gets off this whole thing scot-free, but at the same time, you know, it is important to, just honestly, objectively look at um, what has taken place over the last two years and and do a proper postmortem. So it isn't just a <laughs> exercise uh, in us patting our backs, but it is important for us to be able to say, listen, this is the reality of the situation and we need to deal in reality and we need to um, confront what has taken place and yes right. maybe we do need to repent and repent of specific sins of a specific wrongdoing and wrong thinking and specific wrong actions against other people based off of you know the information that we supposedly had that was was false all those things are super important if you had the opportunity wouldn't you prefer to work with people who share your faith and worldview, especially when it comes to managing your family's financial future? Why would you want to work with someone who's opposed to your strongly held convictions? Choose Rocklink Investment Partners when it comes to your wealth. They're not a big bank or some multinational financial firm. They're a private family office that is 100% Christian and Canadian owned. Send them an email and learn about how they can help you grow and protect your family's wealth. Email rocklink at info at rocklink.com or visit them at www.rocklink.com. That's link with a C. Head over to our friends at rocklink.com. We are pleased to have with us on the dispatch Jacob Rayom. Born and raised in Guelph, Jacob holds a Master of Divinity from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, one of the 
only real good things to come out of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in the last 10 years. He became a pastor of Trinity Bible Chapel in August 2009. Jacob is married to his high school sweetheart, Joanna, and together they have six children for now. Jacob, thank you so much for joining us on The Dispatch. Great to be here. Thank you, Andrew. So, Jacob, you recently wrote an article on Christ Overall titled this, The Biologos Statement versus the Frankfurt Declaration, Two Opposite Evangelical Responses to the State's Power. And by the way, I would highly recommend to anyone who's watching or listening, check out the link in our show notes. You're going to want to read this article and you're going to want to share it with people as well. I want to quote from just the end of the article, the summary, kind of your conclusion to the, 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 two, the, the assessment of the two statements. This is what you write. In the end, each statement embodies conflicting responses that emerged among evangelicals during the COVID-19 crisis. Responses that stem from a larger understanding of ultimate authority, humanity, biblical commands, and even faith and fear itself. The BioLogos statement attempted to synthesize Christianity with the government's response to COVID-19, putting obedience to Christ in lockstep with obedience to the state. The Frankfurt Declaration declared that Christ is over the state, the church, and individuals, with the result that Christians in certain cases disobey the government's response to COVID-19. Our society and civil governments increasingly influenced by godless ideologies, that's, that's an understatement, are often incapable of discerning good from evil, and they regularly confuse the two, even in times of relatively low pressure. In times of high pressure, as in a perceived public health emergency, we should anticipate the compounding of their confusion. Turning to them for direction seems like a good decision, but ultimately Christians must heed the voice of God in Scripture, believing that He is our supreme standard in all things. A failure to heed Scripture, no matter how sincere, is still a failure. The failure is compounded when evangelicals compromise away gathered worship and the right of King Jesus to rule His church, all in the name of allegiance to Christ, love of neighbor and the public good such refusal to heed scripture is not merely failure or even compounded failures but it is in fact sin wonderful yeah yes absolutely full-throated agreement it's more than just an oopsie and it's more than just a oh we got it wrong that it's sin so jacob if you could briefly summarize for us the two statements that you mentioned in your article. Some people might be like our audience is more familiar with the Frankfurt Declaration. We've talked about it. We highlighted it. But if you could kind of briefly say, what's the main thrust of these two statements, the Biologos statement and the Frankfurt Declaration? The Biologos statement um, was penned by some, I guess, evangelicals down in the States. And what they tried to do was in the same essay assert their belief in the authority of scripture and then assert their belief in the authority of science in asserting their belief in the authority of science they conflated science with scientism science of course being the discovery of truth and scientism being um util using the claim of science to push a political agenda so politics in the name of science would be scientism. So they conflate the two in the Biologos statement 
and then assert the, the authority of scripture and the authority of science slash scientism without making the distinction between science and scientism with the effect that the only role that scripture had during the COVID-19 um, perceived pandemic was scripture was there to tell us to obey the government or as I, I termed it, as the Apostle Paul termed it, the spirit of the age. And so ultimately the government or the government's response to COVID-19 was, was to set the agenda of the church and Biologos basically uses scripture um, to cajole us into following that agenda. Frankfurt Declaration takes a different approach and Frankfurt Jack Declaration puts, puts scripture in antithesis uh, to the government's response often and, and rightly perceives the distinction between science and scientism and uh, calls on us to discern when scientism is contra contradicting scripture itself and when it does that, which happened often in the COVID-19 response, um, we ought to side with scripture. So other than highlighting the difference between science and scientism, which is a very important distinction because one is an honest endeavor to uncover what's true and factual about the world, and the other is a new religion, but it's kind of an old religion, but it's come full force in the last number of years, which you did. What else were you trying to communicate? Like, what were you, why did you write the article? What did you hope to convey or help people see or understand looking back on the last three years by looking at these two statements? Well, I really, I, I wanted to demonstrate that th what the Biologos statement represents and, and, and it's not just those who signed the Biologos statement that went along with it. I mean, it, it really does represent, I think, the majority response amongst evangelicals. What it represents is the emergence of a new religion, which is uh, a synthesis between um, statism, at least the state's response to COVID-19, and uh, Christianity. And then, and then com contrast and compare that to the Frankfurt Declaration, which represents, I think, was the minority position, certainly, and it was the position that I took and that uh, you, you took and that a lot of your listeners might have taken. And that is the position that Christianity, the scriptures themselves, um, are, are opposed, are, are the antithesis of the COVID-19 response. And so to put Christ over the government, the, the church, the individual, is opposed to the, the scriptures or Christ telling us to always obey the government in this COVID-19 response. So I, I wanted to show that there's, there's a clear distinction and then define, show where the dividing line is. And I think I did that with, um, with several points that I made and how I quoted the two, the two statements. And, and they do represent two, in my mind, two completely different worldviews and really two different versions of Christianity, two different religions as far as where we get our source of authority from. And one, I mean, curiously enough, one seems to line up in lockstep with what we were receiving by way of information from the legacy media, from our elected officials, from our unelected health bureaucrats, even from the entertainment industry as comedians and musicians decided to also parrot what they were hearing from the elites. So those who would line up with the kind of worldview espoused with the Biologos statement, 
They also happen to be in the vast majority opinion. They all kind of agreed. And then those who would say, no, 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 we affirm the, the truths and the principles espoused in something like the Frankfurt Declaration. These are the sorts of people who were called, I'm sure you've heard, I know I've heard, anti-scientific, anti-vaccine, anti-authoritarian, anti-government, conspiracy theorist, contrarian, that these were the labels that were thrust upon us. And in our in our show today, before we brought you on, a lot of the stories we've been looking at are as you know, as I've been saying, as the the dam of lies can only hold up against this torrent of truth for so long. Eventually, information starts to come out, and you can only contain it for so long. And when it does, you're seeing things more clearly. We've looked at doctors who've repented, who've said we were wrong about this, we called it wrong, we see that now. We're looking at publications like the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal who are sharing stories that they would never have done just a couple years ago because you can't hide it anymore. And what I want to do is I want to I want us together to watch a video clip because it's going to set up the latter part of our discussion which involves not just what you've written about because there are implications to those who would push the biologos statement, right? It's not just here's a worldview, but worldviews actually affect everyday life and in this case had serious detrimental effects on people. So I wanna watch this video because I think it's a good lead into that. And also an article from Stephen Wellam, also on Christ overall, which has a lot to do with this discussion. So let's, um, let's watch and hear from, as we've called him, the uh, high priest in the status scientism religion. And this is the formerly, now I think thoroughly disgraced Dr. Anthony Fauci vaccines that are really quite effective the mrna vaccine highly effective extraordinarily efficacious 94 to 95 percent for mild to moderate disease and virtually 100 percent efficacious because the real world effectiveness is even more impressive than the results of the clinical trial
so that's the that's the, the again the the dam of lies can only hold up so long and eventually truth presses against it it comes out and we understand what's actually going on here one of the things that was that was pushed by evangelical elites was this idea that getting the jab was loving your neighbor it was the christ-like biblical thing to do because not only is it obedience to the state and so we want we want to obey romans 13 we don't want to disobey scriptures but it's also most loving to the state and so also just a couple days after your article was released jacob stephen wellam wrote an article titled thou shalt be vaccinated when loving thy neighbor does not fulfill the law and in the, the article he says with hindsight the jabs have to be rejected they're neither safe nor effective they've been life ruining with adverse effects both short and long term they weren't tested properly pharmaceutical companies were given a liability free card so to Stephen's article and yours, here's here's the question. Here's why we showed that video clip to expose the changing narrative and why we talk about Stephen's article, which, by the way, everyone, you need to read that as well. Why does this matter when considering what many evangelical liter leaders did and said regarding the COVID jab, the, the, the BioLogos statement, what they were binding, they were binding the consciences of, of, of their Christians, of their church people to do certain things so why does this matter this truth regarding the the jab itself and what we were being told what, what do we take away from this what's the significance of it they equated love of neighbor with taking a vaccine and so there's a you know there's a scriptural commandment that you're not to take away from the scriptures you're not to add to the scriptures so in in binding their people many of these evangelical leaders pastors and whatever, what they did was they added to the scriptures because nowhere in the scripture does it say take a vaccine to to love your neighbor. And so they added some other commandment to what God has already given us. Jesus is clearly defined, the scriptures have defined, the Decalogue defines what love of neighbor is. We don't need, you know, we don't need the, the health professionals to, to teach us that. We already know what it is. And so in enforcing this on people and binding their consciences the way they did, these pastors did, and propagating the vaccine they had they imposed upon um the consciences of people and had had they just kind of taken it easy reflected on the scriptural teaching on conscience and let it up to their people with some you know i think they would be in a lot better position but unfortunately a lot of them have brought reproach upon the gospel and They've brought reproach upon their ministries. They've damaged their own reputation. They damaged the reputation of the church. And their integrity is now compromised because they rushed to go along with what they perceived the experts were saying for whatever reason. I mean, that's between them and God, whatever the reasons were. Many of them are, are, are just plain old deceived. But in deceiving their people, I think a lot of them have brought harm upon the people within their churches. And it's, it's really quite devastating to see the effects. Like my approach with the vaccine was when it, when it came out. In fact, the first lockdown, I preached a sermon because there, there was fear even then that the government would impose a vaccine. And, and the fear that I, and, 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 and how I addressed it was even in the first lockdown, I said, look, the government has no right to impose a, a vaccine because our bodies belong to God. Our bodies, we are created in the image of God. And as such, the government has no right to force a vaccine on us. And as we got closer to the rolling out of these vaccine mandates, which 
eventually came and we all saw this in the summer of 2021 fall of 2021 um what i what i communicated to our people regularly was you know, look god's given you a conscience and as such it's it's up to you to determine which way you want to go before god and which way you believe he's leading you on matters that are not brought forward in scripture bible doesn't say take a vaccine bible doesn't say don't take a vaccine so the bible's silent and on such matters if we we ought to be able to we ought to be able to decide as individuals this is where christians could have really shone because this teaching on conscience was developed hundreds of years ago and it's it's within our um it's within our toolbox that we could have brought out but so many of them um trampled on their people's conscience rights and and went along with the state like there's pastors that wouldn't even sign statements um asking that their people be exempt on religious grounds for sake of conscience because they just don't want to get involved but they're quite happy to peddle um basically become the state's drug dealers and or astrazeneca or pfizer's drug dealers and one of the things i did say to our people early on like i didn't take a neutral stance on the vaccine i said i made a statement once at least several times maybe i said usually high pressure sale job sales jobs are snow jobs and that was a, an observation i have from experience and i said this is becoming a high pressure sales job and so i am suspicious of the vaccine and so you ought to investigate this um concoction for yourself and as you investigate it just be very wary but i didn't bind anyone's conscience i didn't say don't take the vaccine in fact the ones that did take it i defended their conscience rights because there were people that wanted to be i think nasty and judgmental towards them um, but all the way through i try to defend people's conscience rights but there was an, a host and i a host of ministers who use the bible and their position as pastors to bind the people's conscience and in doing so i think a lot of them have brought terrible harm um health wise to a lot of people is is every day that goes by there's more evidence that's coming out and stephen wellam did an excellent job in bringing forward a lot of that evidence in the piece that uh, you just mentioned mm -hmm. yeah and that, i mean that's that's an important point that there's a little bit of an irony or a, a, a little bit of a, a double speak coming from evangelical leaders who, on the one hand, were saying something like, your only job is preach the gospel, right? If you're a pastor, you're not a politician, you're not a scientist, your only thing is preaching the gospel, preaching the Bible, telling people how to be moral men and women. Yet at the same hand, at the same time, they had no problem, whether it was from their pulpit or in their own social media, virtue signaling. I did the right thing. I love my neighbor. I got the jab. I'm wearing a mask. Look at how good of a citizen I am. So they're playing it both ways. Or like you mentioned, to say, I'm not going to say anything about the jab. And yet many churches, including my home church, where I grew up in Toronto, had a mobile vaccine clinic in their parking lot, which is, I mean, that that's all sorts of beast worship to me, which is problematic. But the simple fact that you could say, we'll be silent about something but clearly you're complicit. You agree with it. So there's that irony. And then the reality that the, like you just said, the health damage that's been done to people that we have been tasked primarily as shepherds to care for the souls of our people, but we're not caring for just disembodied souls. We're caring for people who were made up of body and soul together. And that means we can't 
force them. We can't pressure them to do things that will end up destroying their soul, but also their body that would be negligent for us. And I think that's something that's that's good that's come out of this. I know you've talked about this, the importance of pastors seeing themselves, that their job is not just, I'm just going to do the Bible thing. That's all. But actually well, caring had, for their people holistically. Like we're not agents of the state. We're agents of Christ. And if we see ourselves as somehow the agents of, of the state, we're compromised. I remember the first time bylaw mm. officers ever visited me. They sat in the church lobby and they asked me if I enforce masks at our church. And I said, no, because I don't work for the government. You guys work for the government. I don't. I'm a minister of Jesus Christ, and I am here to minister the gospel of grace. I'm not here to tell people uh, to wear masks. I'm not here to tell people to social distance. I'm not here to tell people to um, take vaccines or what type of medication they should be taking if they want to be good little Christians. I am up here to uphold. I'm here to uphold the word of God. And so that was uh, that was a new concept to those gentlemen, but unfortunately that's a new concept for a lot of pastors because what they did was they um, pimped off the bride of Christ to uh, individuals like Anthony Fauci. And there are members of their churches, likely their sheep who are now physically harmed or will be physically harmed as a result of their, them, their pastors cajoling them um, towards this uh, this medical scheme, I'm not I'm not down on Christians who got the vaccine. That was their conscientious choice before God to get it, and so I'm, I've never been down on Christians who got the vaccine. I cautioned them, but that's their conscientious choice. I'm down on pastors, church leaders who pressured their people and used manipulated the Bible to tell people to get a medical practice. Um, an experimental medical practice. Those men are negligent and they've caused great harm to many of God's people, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, this, this is on top of, there've been, you know, there's a story, I think it was out of Saskatchewan of a pastor speaking to a number of pastors saying that they were, there was actual financial incentive for them to have mobile clinics or to be pushing the vaccines. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of very, disturbing stuff coming out of this and if if i could i guess prick at your uh your conjecture muscle just for a little bit i know you said ultimately it's between them and god as to why it is these decisions were done i have a, a little bit of an idea that i want to throw out and you can comment on it and maybe offer your own thoughts so when when i wrestle with the question why would it be the case that these men would be so compliant that they would be mouthpieces for the state and pushing this stuff and at the same time tell their people to not do what the scriptures clearly command, why not speak out against it? One of the things that I saw, not just more broadly with you know the disgraced Bruxy Cavey and other guys as well, but even in my hometown here in Kingston, one of the ministers in this city who was the most outspoken against those who were non-compliant, against those who would dare question the mandates, it came out that he was engaged in sexual abusing, sexually abusing a woman from his church for about nine years. And there's there's been a number of the men who were most vocal in their compliance to the state and most critical of those who would say, no, 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 that's not what Romans 13 means. That it comes out that these men had very dark sins and habits that had been lingering for years and years. And so this is my one, one of my thoughts. 
one of the reasons why you had men who were so quick to comply and be mouthpieces for the state and not push back is because they knew of the sins that were hiding in dark places. And they knew that if they took a vocal stance in opposition to the overreach and in opposition to the mandates, they knew that someone who didn't like them would bring all that out into the light and totally destroy them. And so it was fear of sin being exposed that prevented them from speaking out or they were just compromised to begin with that led them to comply because they knew if I take a stand on this, then that person that knows about this thing, if they bring it out to discredit me, I'm ruined. So I think there's, which, which on one hand makes me discouraged because I find myself saying how many men complied and how much of that is because of secret and sexual sin that's behind closed doors. But then it also makes me hopeful for the men who did stand firm. You friends of ours, it makes me say, these obviously must be men of integrity who are not couching secret sins, because if they were, there's no reason they would put themselves out there. So that's a thought I have. Do you have any, any thoughts on that or any, any kind of additional thoughts on why the utter compliance and state mouthpiecery, if I could make up a word? Well, I hope that's not the case. I really do. Um, I, I know what God has decided to bring into the light, and I, but I don't know what God has decided to allow to fester in the darkness for a season. So um, I think he knows, and if there are issues like that, then uh, he will certainly expose them. I think there is, there is a link. Um, between sexual sin and, and how you would view the bride of Christ, because the bride of Christ is portrayed in Scripture is, I just said, a bride. And so if a man doesn't know how to protect and care for a woman, uh, which sexual sin would indicate, then he do, wouldn't know how to protect and care for the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. It should be the, the, the manly kind of fatherly or husband-like instincts that should surface uh, in a man when, the, when any woman, uh, especially a woman that he loves, his wife or his daughters are coming under attack. And certainly those instincts should naturally transfer over to uh, how he would care to the bride that um, he has, has custody over, which is the bride of Christ, until Christ returns. So we are the custodians of, of our Lord's bride. And um, I think an inability or, or a lack of know-how when it comes to defending and caring for women will transfer from one realm to the next. Um, but what has gone on in dark places, it will be up to the Lord to expose in due time. I can see where the failures clearly are um, as far as their response to COVID-19. And I suspect that there's other failures that have led to that. But what those failures are, we shall soon see. Jacob, I have one last question for you. I, uh, I know your heart for your people. I know that you are tenderhearted toward those who are in your care. And there's this interesting dynamic where from a distance people who either may not know you or who may not have had any lengthy conversation with you see someone who thunders with the boldness and authority not just in the pulpit but in protest and in speaking out about these things but obviously the people who know you know that you love them very dearly and know that you shepherd them with all of the appropriate tenderness and gentleness that a shepherd should so the, the question i have knowing that about you in writing this article for Christ overall, as you compare these two statements and thinking about people who have been coerced and cajoled and really abused and done wrong by their leaders, you have people in our audience, I know for a fact, because they email me all the time, who have been hurt, who have been burned, who have been thoroughly disappointed 
by their shepherds who wouldn't sign a religious exemption form, who wouldn't honor their matters of conscience. For these people who maybe now there's a sense of I'm, I'm, I'm burned by and hurt by the church and maybe the institutional church, I've been soured out from that, or I'm just thoroughly distrusting of pastors and shepherds and elders in that position or you know the evangelical complex for these people who've been hurt who've been devastated in writing the article and highlighting this what i guess what by way of encouragement or pastoral counseling or or guidance would you give them so that they don't turn their back on either christ or the physical representations of his body which is local gatherings well there's a lot of pastors that have burned their people over this issue and there's at least two in Ontario that I know of who signed this um, biologos statement and uh, we know who they are and there might even be more but there's two that I know and I guess my my uh, view is 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 you don't want to you don't want to have faith in your pastors you don't want to have faith in the institution of the church, you want to have faith in Jesus Christ. And so the scriptures say, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. And so, yeah, you've been burned by religious leaders. And I'm, uh, I'm sorry, that's a terrible thing that has happened to you. And it's not right. And those men, and uh, some, in some cases, many cases, women too, are, I've done bad things. Um, but you you need to keep looking to the Lord Jesus who loves you and he is the shepherd of your soul and uh, he would never uh, himself as a shepherd point you to do something that would bring great harm to you but he promises to use these things that have come into your life to sanctify you and teach you to be a stronger Christian and a more holy Christian and so I would seize the opportunity to simply embrace um, what has come into your life in some form of God's providence, embrace it and grow as a Christian through it. Don't grow bitter. Bible warns against the roots of bitterness that will, will poison many um, and proceed in love and mercy and in with a broken heart, uh, with a heart that's pliable to uh, the wills and or the will and the way of, of God and King Jesus. And King Jesus will, will lead you. And if your body's been harmed by this, I mean, ultimately, our, our hope is not in having healthy and well bodies in this life, but the day will come when we will rise from the dead and we'll have our, our, if our eyes are on Christ, we'll rise from the dead and we'll receive completely restored bodies. And for all of eternity, not just, you know, a measly 70, 80, or for lucky 90 years of life, but um, for, for a, a body that we'll have for 10,000 times 10,000 and even more years will be absolutely perfect without any vaccine harm and any other harm done to it. And so people need to keep their eyes on Christ. We don't want to let the, the hypocrites and the fakes and the frauds keep us out of the kingdom of heaven. Um, and, and part of keeping your eyes on Christ is being part of the church. And being part of the church means dealing with the hypocrites in the church. And that's part of the growing process. So, but the, the Lord Jesus is a very caring and a very tender savior. And he promises to care his care, care, for and carry his people forever. Yeah, I, uh, I've, I've had more emails than I can recall right now of people who've expressed certain disappointments or frustrations or who, who, who express a real anxiety, um, a real spiritual 
disquietedness within their soul. And so I know that uh, I know that that answer and that 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 counsel will be indeed encouraging uh, and and edifying to many of our our listeners. So thank you for that, brother. It is always good to have you join us um, and offer your perspective, your insight, but all of that from the perspective uh, also of someone who loves the Lord and serves him and serves his people well. So Jacob, thank you for joining us on the dispatch. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Andrew. Well, I hope you enjoyed and were edified by that, uh, that conversation with Jacob. It was really good to hear him again, just at the end there, talk about the necessity of being committed to Christ and his church and the local expressions of his universal church. And the reality is you're going to find hypocrites and people who are quick to burn you in any church, in any institution, in any gathering of people. But the reality is that Christ is a kind savior and shepherd for his people. And we have great hope and joy in him. And that's that's part of what we hope to accomplish here. Uh, that, that's part of why Liberty Dispatch exists is because, yes, we want to analyze what's going on in the world from a Christian worldview and perspective. Yes, we want to be on the forefront of actually advocating for and fighting for our rights and our freedoms and our liberties in Canada. Yes. But we also want people to be awakened to the reality that there is a God who has designed this universe to work a certain way. And when we live in conformity to his design, it's always the best thing for human flourishing. It doesn't mean that it's easy. doesn't mean that it's without difficulty. doesn't mean that it's without its challenges. But it does mean that it is most definitely worth it. That a life connected to Christ in faith, lived in obedience to the word of God, is a life that is meaningful and fruitful, is a life that is joyful, and a life that looks forward in hope to an eternity with our creator when the creative order is renewed and when sin is removed once and for all from the creation. So we hope you've enjoyed this episode. We hope that you have been indulging in some sweet chocolate vindication cake. And like Jacob said, we we are still to be kind to those who have either been deceived or those who've been hurt by certain decisions and we want to welcome them in. And when they exercise that repentance muscle and say they're sorry, then our response is to say, it's over. Welcome back, brother. All is all is forgotten. Let's move on. And uh, we can rebuild the relationship and be reconciled to them. So thank you for joining us on this episode of Liberty Dispatch. Until next time, Galatians 5.1. Thanks for tuning in to Liberty Dispatch, a united front to restore liberty and justice in Canada. Please subscribe to our podcast and Rumble channel, as well as visit our website at www.LibertyCoalitionCanada.com. Friends, we're posting new content multiple times every week throughout our various shows on this channel so you're going to want to subscribe to it and hit that notification bell that way you stay up to date with everything that we're releasing here with the liberty coalition canada